episode 187 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is Chris White, and I'm a retired police sergeant, um, but I've also been a pilot for 18 years. I own a Beechcraft Twin Bonanza right now, and I'm also a corporate pilot for a Fortune uh, 150 company flying Challenger 350s. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log with Garmin Pilot. Pilot the Pilot is brought to you by The Finer Points. The Ground School app contains knowledge and skill videos. Check it out at learnthefinerpoints.com. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's podcast is with a Patreon subscriber and supporter, Chris. Chris reached out to me via email and said, hey, I have a story that you really haven't touched on yet. And I was very intrigued to tell the story. And I am not surprised about what he said. He was absolutely correct. It is a story I've never told. Chris was a cop, transitioned to becoming a pilot and started flying while he was a cop. And then he is now flying professionally through connections he has made as his career flying and owning multiple airplanes. What I thought was very crazy about Chris's story is how he faced a ton and a ton of adversity to get into the cockpit, even leading up to being motion sickness after he's already faced three or four strikes on his path to becoming a pilot. So don't ever give up. This is what you want to do. Keep working hard. It can even happen way later in your career. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. Go ahead and add this to a playlist, whether it's on podcasts on Apple or Spotify. That helps the rankings a lot. Just create a playlist, add some podcasts from Pilot to Pilot, and that will help shoot it up the rankings. Aviation, I want to keep you much longer. Try Pilot's Coffee, follow some Pilot's Coffee and Pilot the Pilot, and share Pilot's Coffee with all your friends. Without any further ado, here's Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing good. Uh, not many people know this, but we had this all set up record yesterday uh, and then technical difficulties on my end where you couldn't hear my voice. I sounded like an alien, but nonetheless, you put up with all that nonsense and you had amazing patience and here we are today. So uh, thank you for your patience and I'm looking forward to talking to you today. No problem at all. I was a little concerned yesterday that I was going to have to make up all your questions and do your show for <laughs> you, but uh, <laughs> you might, I mean, you might still have to do that. I might totally fail today and you might have to carry the episode all on your own. Well, I'm out in a, a little town east of Columbus, so I, I was like, maybe maybe it's my internet. I don't know, but uh, no, it sounds good today. <laughs> well, perfect. Well, uh, I always start off with the same question. Why aviation? What got you into aviation? And I was, I was always one of those kids when I was growing up that was always looking up. Um, I think one of my earliest memories... Um, we, we, my dad had a, a, a little kick toy, a little toy you put the kids on when they're kids, but it was shaped like an airplane. And I tell you, even, even to this day, I remember him putting me on that little toy, little scooter, and then picking me up and flying me around like I was a pilot. And I tell you that, that just really kicked everything in. I still remember riding around on that. And I think that's what did it for me. Um, from that point on, I was always into airplanes, always looking up when anything ever flew over. Did you have any pilots in your family at all? Or were you, you going to be the first one? 
I have no pilots in my family. We're, we're from a pretty rural part of um, Ohio and probably the closest airport when I was growing up was 45 minutes away. So how do you go about being a kid that likes aviation, that has always looked to the sky to becoming a pilot with no kind of guidance or no kind of set path? What what kind of triggered that for you? Was it later in life? Like you said earlier in your intro, you're a police sergeant. Did you take this all mm-hmm. up later? Or did you focus on bucking the trend and yeah. becoming the first pilot in the family? Uh, you know, I never, I never even considered being a pilot until I was in my late 20s. Um, but it, when you come from a small town like that, and I think you've had guests on before that talk about that. Once you get that, that kick in the pants, that the aviation is just the neatest thing ever. You, you, you seek it out. And for me, when in school, uh, it was looking at books, it was reading as much as I could. Um, it was seeking out people that may have even just a little bit of uh, connection to aviation. And that's what I did. Um, I was fortunate in grammar school and I guess sixth grade, I had a sixth grade teacher who was a Vietnam veteran who was an Intel officer in the air force. And he really uh, stoked my interest as well. That that's probably as big of, of a thing as um, being flown around by dad on the scooter. Uh, he was up flying up in Vietnam collecting Intel. And I remember specifically one time him talking about Vietnam and I, you know, just a sixth grade kid, I didn't know any better. I said, so were you ever shot at with uh, machine guns or were you shot at with missiles or fighters? And he said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, (laughs) that's pretty neat. And I think he, I didn't kind of push that his Vietnam experience because you never knew. And everybody knew back then that you didn't really want to um, ask people unless they wanted to tell um, what their experience was. But he was, he was really cool. He was a Russian speaker. So he listened um, for, you know, uh, transmissions in Russia and he can trans translate them for the air force. And it was just the neatest thing. So what about him kind of pushed you in aviation and kind of, was it just the, the thought of what he did? Did he uh, tell you how to get started? What was it that kind of uh, had him be like your initial mentor for this? Yeah, he was, he, it's not so much that he kicked me into starting the flying thing. He just kicked my interest in aviation in general. And right at that point, um, he really uh, stoked my interest in military aviation. So I became that history nerd uh, for for aviation in particular. And he saw that in me too. So he always provided me with the, the neatest um, history books and accounts that he could find and just fed me with it. And that just, it, you know, it's just like fertilizing the lawn. Um, he saw what was what was in me in the interest of aviation and just kept it going. Do you think without, do you think without his help and without that kind of mentorship, you would have become a pilot? Mm, probably not. I think that he was pretty good in stoking that in me. So, um, it, for, for our area, we had uh, six grade trips to Washington, DC. And I remember going there and that was when he was one of my teachers. And actually my dad got to go as a chaperone and we spent the entire trip, it seemed, at the National Air and Space Museum. And oh my gosh, that, for, for a kid that really didn't go around any kind of airplanes in a small town of a thousand people, going to D.C. and then going to that museum was just, it just blew my mind. And I tell you, it was, it was so neat and it that that was it. I still have the book I bought at the National Air and Space Museum uh, bookshop. 
and that was on the F-15 Eagle, <laughs> which was relatively new right now, or right at that point. Um, but I still have that here in the house. It's in the bookshelf behind me, and it's just uh, just crazy how it stoked that interest in me. So it stoked the interest. Uh, again, I asked the same question, kind of. You, <laughs> yeah. you still have the interest. There's no kind of actionable plan. There's no kind of a way to become a pilot. And I, I no. think a lot of people kind of come into this situation where... Um, I'm not trying to generalize like a story or anything, but there's a lot of people that love the idea at some point in their life about flying and aviation. They look up to the sky. They always think it's cool, but they just keep pushing it off and off and off. What was it for you to make that step? Was it a long time coming? Was there many other steps of your life you had to go through first before you came a pilot or did you go take a, a intro flight? No, for me, it was a long time coming. So then, you know, after, after all that interest, um, uh, was, you know, made bigger and stronger by, by doing the things with uh, my sixth grade teacher. You know, I get, you go into high school. Um, high school was relatively easy for me. And I thought, you know what, I, I, I want to be a military pilot. But just like <laughs> it seems like 80% of the people out there, I did not have the eyesight to become a military pilot. So I, I couldn't do it. So I guess the next best thing for me, I, I thought I wanted to be an aero engineer, aeronautical engineer. So went into high school and kind of focused my, my studies on that and got into Ohio State in their aero program. And I thought that would be it. I thought if I couldn't fly, um, I could at least design the airplane. So I started, started out at aero at OSU. Was that a hard thing to, to realize? Like you had this dream of being a military pilot and then they tell you the eyesight or was it with so many people <laughs> at that time yeah. where they're all getting kind of turned away for eyesight? It was kind of like, oh, dang, that stinks, but on to the next. Or was that kind of a, a determining moment in your career and a very low point? It, it was it was a low point. I, I did everything I could. I, I tried to look at every avenue. And back then you couldn't have, I think right now, um, I don't know if this is for sure. I think you can have um, corrective uh, surgery on your eyes and become a military pilot. And again, I, I don't know if that's for sure, but I think you could. Uh, at that time, there was there was no option. Um, so that was that was kind of crushing for me. Uh, but I thought, you know what, Arrow would be the next best thing if I could go work for a Boeing or a Lockheed or a McDonnell Douglas because of the F-15 book. <laughs> you know, I thought oh, that'd be pretty cool. I can I can do that and. Um, I think that'll, that'll say Jake me. It'll, it'll be good to be able to be around airplanes in that, um, to, uh, faculty, I guess. How long did it take you to bounce back from that news from, uh, kind of having your dreams crushed? A lot of people hear about how you <laughs> face adversity in your career or just in flying or just in general, you know, on a normal flight, you might have some kind of system issue and you gotta, you gotta face it and you gotta fix it and you mm-hmm. gotta determine the best path to go about it. And you gotta think quick and, and make the right steps in, a, in an appropriate amount of time. Uh, but what you don't understand is like your adversity leads to how you perform in those situations from very early on. So how did you, without any kind of former training, kind of get over this? Uh, did you think about it for a while? Did did it take a while or was it just uh, one day you just woke up and you're like, all right, well, I'm not going to dwell on this anymore. I'm going to try to make the best of my life and do the best that I can with what, what I'm given. Well, that, that wasn't actually the only adversity as far as being a pilot went because, or being in aviation, I guess, in general. Um, when I got into aero, as well as I did in high school, and I think uh, a lot of people find this out when they get into college, um, it's a little different beast. And all of a sudden, you know, you have to do everything on your own. The classes are more difficult. Um, and the, in aero engineering or any engineering math, 
mathematics becomes a big part of it. And I was two to three years away from figuring out that I was, I was terrible at math. I was good enough to pass my courses, <laughs> but I was not good enough that I felt I could be a great engineer. And I didn't want to be a good engineer. I don't want to be a, an acceptable engineer. I wanted to be a, a great at something. Um, so yeah, I get past the no military pilot thing, go into engineering thinking that that was going to be, that was going to be where I was going to make my mark and get in there. I just, I just was not good at it. My mind, um, is decent at math, but it's not engineering decent at math. So then I had another choice to make and, uh, I ended up switching my major. What'd you switch to? Uh, aviation. Of course. <laughs> so it's kind of like so, you had two strikes on your aviation career. You're like, oh, yeah, I can't right. be a military pilot. Well, I can't be the engineer. I'm just going to fly the planes by like a civilian. <laughs> that's it. So yeah, I went, uh, went to aviation and, and I hate to, to break this to people, but that was, that was strike number three. Um, because I got into aviation, loved it, got through actual ground school at OSU and then sat down with my advisor and talked about, uh, uh, getting the ratings that you needed for a um, for to be a commercial pilot and to graduate in the engineering or I'm sorry the aviation uh, department at OSU and you know they're they're telling me that it's going to be a seventy thousand uh, dollar debt <laughs> that you're going to have to be faced with at the end of your aviation and then I was thinking well that seems like a lot of money and uh, at the time you know things have changed a little bit to this day, you know, first year, first officers are making $15,000 a year. Uh, so, um, at that time it had me guessing even being a pilot at all. So I went from wanting to be a military pilot to wanting to be an engineer to wanting to be a commercial pilot, you know, all in this, this span from like age 15 to age 22 to thinking that uh, this may not be the thing for me. I don't know if I can go into this much debt, to make that little money off and the off chance that eventually one day I'll be a 747 captain, you know, making $300,000 a year. Um, so I got to my junior year at Ohio state, um, with a whole bunch of engineering credits, a whole bunch of aviation credits. And I switched majors again. And guess what I went to something I was very good at, which was history and specifically military history. Cause I, I could do that stuff with my eyes closed. So there was, there was three, three big speed bumps I ran into um, at a very like, young age from teenage years to young adult that pushed me away from aviation at that point. What were your parents telling you or your friends? Because obviously they would see this and be like, oh, look, this, this kid clearly loves aviation. This is clearly something he wants to do. But it's been bad news after bad news after bad news. Um, were they kind of like, hey, man, just give it up? Or were you kind of determined to, to keep seeing this through? Uh, I was determined to keep seeing it through, but not necessarily in aviation. They, they, they saw that um, the hurdles may be, and I don't, I don't want to say they were discouraging. That's not what I'm saying at all. But they, you know, they kept encouraging me. You, you can do something. You're going. You have to find what you can do and what's what's available to you. So don't don't sweat the the disappointment in this. Just keep moving forward. Keep doing what you're doing now. You found something good that you like in in the history degree. Um, but you just need to, you know, you're going to find your place in there. So it was it was encouraging in that respect. But again. Um, I was an upperclassman at that time and my friends who I've gone to school with, 
were starting to graduate and they were starting to graduate in engineering courses. Um, so that, that was tough for me because it, it seemed like it was a failure for me to start out in engineering and then have to move to something that I was better at. It, it just seemed like a failure and it was tough for me to do that. Um, so it was both, they both encouraged me and it was discouraging just to see that other people were moving forward and something that I had tried and, and unfortunately wasn't that good in. So you, you chose history and you're going down the history mm-hmm. out. What did your career aspects look like? Did you want to become a history teacher? Did you uh, want to, I don't really know what comes next after history, yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> so what <laughs> did, what did you know. want to do with it? <laughs> well, I, I, I thought I was going to be a, a history professor um, at that point because I was very good at it. Like I, I was saying before, I was pretty good at writing. Um, I love studying about it. So it was, it was easy for me to do. I thought, uh, if I didn't do that and I actually loved, uh, teaching, I loved being in the school, um, environment. And actually my, uh, now that I think of it, my daughter is a junior in Ohio state right now in elementary education. So I think she might've gotten that for me. <laughs> uh, but I thought if, if I couldn't be a professor, maybe there's law school, um, something along, along those lines that was a little less, um, uh, appealing to me, but it was, it was something. And, uh, honestly, I got to my, my last quarter of my senior year and, you know, you've got some student loans and, uh, as most people do, I thought to myself, and this is, this is the plain truth. I, I got to that point. And I thought, man, I need a job. I need to find something to do. So at that, you know, at that time I opened up the, uh, the newspaper and started looking for jobs. And this, this was one of the turning points in my life because it ended up defining the next, uh, 25 years of my life. I saw an ad to become a police officer for a, for a uh, suburb of Columbus. And I thought I had never to that point considered doing that ever. But I saw that and I thought, well, you know what? That kind of seems interesting. Maybe I'll just take the test and see what happens. And uh, I walked into a middle school where they were holding the test. There were 600 plus other applicants for, uh, they ended up hiring four people. And uh, again, I I was taken seated for the test and thought there is no way, no earthly way that I'm going to beat out 600 plus other people for four positions. But I kept moving forward, took the test was and did well enough to be invited back for a physical agility test. And that just narrowed, narrowed the, the pool down to maybe 150. And again, I was thinking there's no way I can beat out 150 people. Um, but I did and uh, was able to do that and eventually got hired at that department. And that was in January of 1995. So I began my police career in January of 1995. Having focused all my career on aviation, I was into something completely different, but it, but it wasn't over for me. I think it's kind of important to kind of touch on this a little bit because there are so many people that are going through college or they come into college with an idea of what they want to be with an idea of, Hey, I'm going to be an engineer. Hey, I'm going to be a pilot. Hey, I'm going to do this. Uh, and, and there's only very, not many people that go in thinking they're going to do something, come out actually doing that. They, they realize throughout the process either A, they don't like it. B, there's some kind of determining factor that keeps them from doing it. Or maybe there's just a mutual <laughs> interest in, in other aspects or they get pulled off in other parts and kind of see where life can take them. 
What do you say to someone? There's a lot of people right now listening to this that are in college facing these same, uh, they might be in the same situation as you. Maybe they want to be a military pilot. Their eyesight wasn't good enough or some kind of health issue, but they want to be civilian pilot, but they can't justify dropping 150 grand for, for flight training. Uh, what would you say to someone right now that's trying to figure it all out? Uh, not even just for flying, but just in college in general, because it's a very stressful time. You, you don't really know it. There's so many unknowns about the future and what you're going to be. How did you attack that process and kind of stay sane and, and, and kind of just have hope for the best for the future? Well, you, you just have to realize that the, the, the plans that you have at the beginning don't necessarily uh, mean that that's that's what's going to end up happening you you the more important thing is to have the um, persistence to keep moving forward to keep trying to find your place just it, do not let the disappointments define who you are because it would have been just as easy for me to just just drop out of college and forget about it and not do anything um and, and then go for you know uh, some kind of job a uh, that's, I don't want to denigrate anybody's profession, but not, not quite as important. Maybe I don't I don't know how you would say that without being insulting to people that work those jobs, but you just need to keep, keep moving forward and keep, keep trying. That's it. There, there should be no giving up and doing that because they, as long as you are moving forward, um, you know, you're, if you're moving forward in the tall grass, you never know when you, when you, brush that last piece of a blade of grass away, what may be on the other side. So, um, and that, that's what happened with me. You just, I just kept moving forward. So, um, ended up in a completely different profession that I ever thought I would be. And I I tell you, I loved it. It was, it was the, the neatest thing for me to be a a police officer, just helping out. Because one of the things that I thought of besides, um, getting into this field and what I can do with my degree was I wanted to be in something where at the end of 30 years, when I was looking back on what I did, that I wouldn't be disappointed in how I um, contributed to society. So I knew that being a police officer and being the best police officer I could and serving the community I was in that there would be no chance that I could look back and say, you know what? I I wasted my life. I should have done this. I should have done that. Um, I know that I made lives better for, for a lot of people. And uh, I'm proud of that because right now I'm looking back on that part of my life and thinking that that was, that was perfect. That was exactly what I was looking for. Um, but I wouldn't have known that had I, quit had I just given up. All right. So I'm going to ask you the real question that everyone wants to do. Everyone wants to know, how do I get out of a speeding ticket? If I'm going fast, what's the words to say? How do I get out of it? Do I just drop your name? Like how, how does that happen? <laughs> Dropping my name probably yeah. would, would get you an extra or a seatbelt ticket as Dang well as it. a speeding ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's no getting out of it. Just depends yeah. on how fast you're going. Um, yeah. I would say just be respectful. You don't have to, you don't have to kiss anybody's rear end when you get stopped. We we've seen it all. Um, but just be respectful and, and, uh, take responsibility. I don't think there's any magic words. That's However, funny. if you are a, a military member, it might not hurt to, uh, <laughs> hurt to, because there's a lot of military members, uh, who became police officers. So yeah. if you could, uh, you could get a little uh, the fraternity with a with a military member that might help you out. Yeah, but if you're not in the always. Air Force and the the cop is in the Navy, it might not go too well. <laughs> <laughs> it might not, but yeah. you might get the ticket anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might not end up too well. So you got to be careful with that one. In your line of work, you rely on precision planning 
trusted resources, and experience each day. And that's just what RAA brings to financial planning. Having served thousands of pilots for three decades, they understand how important planning for the future is to your career, livelihood, and family. That's why RAA offers free consultations with financial advisors who know pilots and can answer your most pressing questions, provide personalized guidance on the key areas you need to address now, and deliver actionable next steps to help keep your plan on course. Most importantly, you'll have a clear picture of your current financial life and a partner you can trust to help you achieve your financial goals. Meet with an RAA financial advisor specializing in your airline for free consultation today at raa.com backslash pilot to pilot. That's pilot to pilot. And remember, in life, there are passengers and pilots. We, RAA, proudly serve pilots. Um, what kind of parallels would you draw between your two careers? So between being a pilot, being a police officer, I'm guessing as a, at least where I fly, I have a lot of ability to make my own decisions. Like we're not micromanaged. We have a brief and we get the job done. And a police officer, what I would imagine, it's very much things kind of happen and you have to go with the flow and then make very, very quick decisions like you do in an airplane. Uh, Would you say there's some parallels between the two? Definitely. Definitely. Just, just like what you were saying, you get a brief and then you go get the job done at the beginning of every, uh, street officers uh, day is usually a roll call. So you come in there and your supervisor gives you the information for the day. Hey, these are the things that happened before you came on shift. These are the things you should look for and go out and do it. So it's very, it's a very, um, self-initiated career, um, as far as what you do. Um, so it, it may not be as regimented with checklists and things like that, but um, there are some parallels with that. Just with like what you said, you can get out there and get the job done. Yeah. And it's also two careers. I mean, there's other careers obviously that are very similar, but where you make decisions very quickly and with the information you have at hand and no one else can make the decision, but you, and you exactly. will be judged after that, based on the decision you do, you know, whether it's, um, I'm not trying to get political or anything. This is just strictly, you make a decision and you get judged for it, whether it's good or bad, just like being a fly. If the outcome is good, then it's good. If the outcome is bad, then you have a million people on Facebook being armchair quarter armchair pilots and judging you for what you do. So there's a lot of similarities between the two. And did you think that training helped you or that career helped you getting into the, the aircraft to make quicker decisions and to make good decisions because you were already mentally trained? For sure. Uh, I think that's, that's exactly right. You, there's a saying in the police world that you have, you know, five seconds to make a, make a decision that a, a room full of lawyers and judges will spend five months dissecting. Um, so that's very similar to what you, what you see in the, in the airplane, in the cockpit where you, you might be presented with something and you've got to get it done. And now um, whether it turns out well or not, uh, the NTSB, hopefully not in that yeah. case, but uh, they will sit there and take hours and hours and weeks and months to try to decide whether your decision was good. So that's very, very similar to what. And even what, if you make a good decision, the lawyers still want to make sure that the, the aircraft companies don't have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah, yeah not exactly going down that right. path. 
But um, <laughs> so you're a police officer. You had a good career being a police officer. When did you get in aviation? What again? I feel like I'm asking the same question. Yeah. What got you into an airplane? What got you to to actually go take off? Because a lot of people just have a career. You know, you're getting ready to retire, yeah. or whatever it may be, and you're just kind of happy. You're like, I did a good career. Now I'm going to go enjoy my family. But no, yeah. uh, you wanted to continue, whether it was flying during your time as a police officer or uh, afterwards. So kind of talk a little bit about how you transitioned and in uh, the beginning of it all. Yeah. So it, it would, a lot of people would just, that would be it. And you'd be away from aviation and then that, that's the last of it. But, um, a couple very happy, um, coincidences happened. The guy that one of the guys that I was hired with, um, we actually went to the police Academy together. He came from an aviation family and, uh, we discovered in the Academy when they weren't screaming at us that <laughs> we were both in, both into aviation. So that was kind of a, a push for me. I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. And uh, we ended up actually uh, doing a lot of Oshkosh trips um, together and actually bought kits, a kit for an airplane, actually not a kit. We, we bought a um, plans for an airplane, a cozy Mark IV back in 1996. And we got exactly zero done with it. Um, but <laughs> As, as most people do, um, get zero done with their, their plans, but aircraft, but, uh, it was good to have another, um, you know, uh, push towards aviation with, um, having a, a good friend of mine who was in police work, but also in the aviation, his grandfather had an airplane. So it was, um, strong with him as well. Um, so it was cool. Now I had the guy that I was in both, both of my interests with police work and aviation, so probably three years um, after I started um, at the police department, actually it was a little bit longer than that, more like five or six, um, had a little bit of time. I had a little bit of money and I thought, you know what, I, I there is no better time than now. I'm going to go get that discovery lesson. So now I'm, I'm closer to 30 years old where I've always had the interest to be a pilot it has taken me this long to do an intro flight. And that was my, pretty much my first time in a small airplane was when I was 30 years old or close to it anyway. Do you have any regrets yeah. of not taking the intro flight at 20, 18, 25, any time before that? Or do you think how everything played out in your career, in your life, it led to like the perfect timing for all of this? As it sits now, I can't say that I regret it at all because things are pretty great right now with me in aviation. Um, I, I think maybe if if I had to go back and say play the the what if game on that, I think maybe it would have uh, maybe I don't want to say messed things up, but it it, it might have tripped me up and and how I ended up right now. So would I would have muddied the waters I, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. because. Uh, a lot of the people that I know in aviation, at least around here, a lot of them um, had an interest in becoming police officers as well. Actually, my first instructor, um, who is a corporate pilot in the state up north, I won't say, hmm. he he was actually considering when he was instructing. And I remember us being in the 152 flying around the area and him talking about, you know, maybe I should become a police officer. So I was like, you know, that's a pretty great career. You can do that. And uh, it would be cool. I'd help you out. And he ended up sticking with it and uh, becoming a corporate pilot as well. So uh, I think there's a, a lot of 
blurred lines between people who have an interest in aviation and people who have an interest in either the military or law enforcement. Oh, so. for sure. My first, my, not my first flight instructor, but my flight instructor down in North Carolina was a pilot and got out of, or, sorry, he was a cop, became a pilot yeah. and quit being a cop to be a, pro, a full-time pilot. So there's definitely a lot of uh, a carryover and similarities and a lot of people do all yeah. of the above. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just the psychological profile is yeah. very similar. I don't want to say it's exactly the same, but it is it is very similar. When you were um, when you were starting your aviation training, did you have any PTSD? Did you have any doubts? I mean, you you clearly wanted to do this a while ago, and you you mm-hmm. very clearly it almost seems like signs from the universe telling you, "Hey, this is not for you. This is not going <laughs> to work out." Did you have any kind of doubts about yourself doing this? Did you have any kind of reservations? Like, I don't think I'm good enough, or was it just, "Nope, this is my time. I'm going for it." I, I, it's funny you mentioned that. And I, this, my very first flight with the instructor, um, I tell you, I got in that plane and I, I thought I did well. I, I did, um, flying around actually the, uh, my instructor, he, he had me do a landing and I got so motion sick. I couldn't hardly stand oh up when we got out of the airplane. <laughs> So imagine that everything we've talked about to this point uh, led up to getting away from aviation. And then I come back to it and my first flight, I am just deathly <laughs> motion sick. And I was like, what is going on? I, I, it, this can't be, this can't be how this ends is me getting motion sick. So um, I said, you know what? I, I'm again, I stuck to it. The next day I just uh, uh, signed up for another lesson. I said, I'm just, I think I willed myself not to be sick. And that was pretty much the last time I was motion sick in an airplane when I was sitting in the left seat. Um, so I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was determination. I have no idea if there's any kind of medical explanation, but I wouldn't allow myself to be grounded because of motion sickness. Uh, and after that, it did pretty well. Actually, I think I, I soloed pretty quickly and, uh, I, I don't know what the minimum hours, I think 45 or 40 hours or something like that. I was only a few hours past the minimum, um, before I had my private ticket. So I stuck to it and just got it done. That's it. How many ratings did you get while you're a cop? Did you stop at your private? Did you go all the way up to commercial CFI or, uh, or did you kind of push that all off till after you, um, you, you finished your policing career? No, I, I got as many as I could that, that I thought I needed. So what, the, I, what I wanted to do was have a, a traveling airplane. So taking the family to Florida, going to Disney trips, things like that. So I remember telling my instructor um, when I was getting near my end of my training, I said, you know what, five years, I'm going to have an airplane. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own an airplane. And it was actually five months. <laughs> and Dang. actually the, the guy I went with, to the academy, he and I went and got a uh, went and bought a Mooney. So that was our first airplane, and I had I was just a very newly minted air, airplane pilot, certificated pilot. He was still in flight training, and we owned a Mooney. Um, so with that, you know, especially around the northern states in Ohio, um, you can't really do any traveling without an instrument rating. So as soon as I could, I did an accelerated course, got my instrument rating. Um, we, we actually owned five Moonies. We kept moving up in the Mooney world. We started out with an older one, got a little bit younger Mooney, and then it got a little bit faster of a Mooney and, uh, got a little bit a higher flying Mooney and it would use that a lot to travel to Florida, do family visits just all around, but we needed that instrument rating. So I did the accelerated course 
and got into that. So, um, as we were traveling though, my kids end up having two kids and actually I met my wife at the police department too. So, um, that was, again, I tell you that that was a very fortunate thing for me with getting, getting the time and money to be able to fly, but also met my wife at the police department. So everything worked out. It was good. Um, we ended up having two kids flying to flying to Florida in a Mooney and they kept getting bigger. <laughs> as they do. Have, yeah. yeah, as they do. They we kept having more, you know, luggage and bigger luggage and uh, uh and now now it's time to look into something bigger. So got my multi um multi instrument rating and we ended up buying a, a Beechcraft Twin Bonanza. A uh, cool airplane, uh, oh, granddaddy. Yeah. yeah, granddaddy, the King Air. Those are and big planes. They are. And I tell you, most people don't, um, when they look at it from afar, don't realize how big it is, but they keep walking up to it and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> and yeah, they stand they, very tall. Yeah, it's King Air. It's yeah. King Air landing gear. That's exactly what it is. Actually, you could say that the King Air sits on Twin Bonanza landing gear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the, we ended up getting the, the Twin Bonanza. And it was what drew me to that was the first few years of uh, of uh, production on the Twin Bonanza was for the military. So it is a warbird. People don't realize that, but the, the Army bought most of them, and they flew from uh, the Korean War on. It was developed in 1949. Flew in Korea and Vietnam. They used them as a signal intel aircraft up up and down the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And I oh, don't wow. know this for sure. But that may have been one of the planes that my sixth grade teacher flew when he did his missions in Vietnam. I haven't been able to confirm that yet, but he did the exact job that they used that airplane for. So That's crazy. I'm interested to find that out. Yeah, we got to find that out. <laughs> Isn't that neat? I yeah. tell you, that's just weird how that, that comes out. So the question I ask next is, I don't know many police officers that based off of being a police officer are very... Uh, are millionaires or have a ton and a ton and a ton of money to spend on airplanes and very much. I want to buy an airplane. A lot of people want to buy airplanes, but we always just either make excuses that it's too expensive or just flat out is too expensive. How did you make it work? How does someone that, like I said, isn't born into maybe millions of Mm -hmm. dollars or has, uh, makes tons and tons and tons of money. How did you make it work? What did you, what did, how did you talk your wife into it? Like just the whole process of, I'm (laughs) sure a lot of people want to know how, how to make it work. And and is it actually easier to buy an airplane than most people think? You can make it work. You can't make it work if you're on public assistance, obviously. However, if you are gainfully employed, there are ways to make it work. Um, I won't tell you that it's cheap because it isn't. Um, it just, just isn't, it is expensive to get into. However, um, my, my wife knew of my interest in this and she was very encouraging for it, um, for me getting into it. But the kicker for me, the, the, the way I got into it was having a partner. So I, I, I haven't owned an airplane by myself since we, we started owning airplanes and, um, we've had a lot of them, but you know, when, when you can go into it and have it be 50% off. <laughs> I, I call my partner, my airplane coupon, he's my 50% coupon. So that, that makes it a lot easier. So don't, um, don't shy away from getting into it, especially if you're uh, a middle-class per- person like we are, hell, we were probably lower middle-class if, if that, um, but you can get into it, but uh, don't, 
overlook being in a partnership with one or two other people that have like-minded interests. Now it is very important that you find, find like-minded people because the, you can, um, find partners from hell. (laughs) I have heard the stories, but if you do have a partner, if you have a partner that's committed to it, like you are and have the same goals, I tell you, it's been really easy and it's been great for me. So So that's how we did it. You guys have kept your partnership in each and every airplane. Like you have your families have grown together and you've always had the same interest in having a bigger airplane and kind of agreed on each airplane you guys got. We have. Yeah. And it's worked out. That's impressive. That's awesome. From uh, I think we bought our first airplane in 2004 or 2005, and we own one right now. Actually, uh, my partner's out flying the airplane for Woody Williams today as we speak. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone wants to be a partner, I don't know where I'm going to live in the next year, but hit me up, you know, uh, or if you want to pay for the whole thing, donate an airplane, whatever it may be. <laughs> you, you are, you would be a great partner because you've got a lot of time, a lot of ratings. So yeah, you, right. You Insurance might be pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Come on guys. Yeah. <laughs> Girls, whatever it is. Come on. Hit me up. Exactly. That's funny. Um, all right. So talk about you, you got all your ratings. You've owned a ton of aircraft and you've just continued mm-hmm. to, to improve uh, on your piloting skills or what you're flying while you're being a police officer. But now you're a corporate air and you're a corporate pilot. What was the process like for that? Did you continually build your time and have to, did you have like a time in mind that you wanted to get before you retired to be competitive for corporate flying or airline flying, or were you kind of uh, just taking it as it goes and flying uh, just whenever you wanted to? Well, um, I, again, as just I've explained before, I, I didn't know how I turned out as a police officer because I never ex- expected to be. And I wake up today and I don't know how <laughs> I got to be a corporate, corporate pilot. Um, but, but I am, it just worked out and it just, it, it, it's a, uh, for me, I think it's just a, a matter of continually moving forward and, and, going into those inter- those things that interest you. Um, I always, I, obviously I, I was now an airplane owner and a pilot. You started using that airplane for veterans airlift command flights. I started volunteering for that. Um, just being able to fly other than just uh, pleasure, being able to, again, to, to serve. Um, and that got me into flying with the Woody Williams Foundation. Woody Williams, if you don't know, he's the last surviving Medal of Honor recipient from World War II. He is 97 years old. He'll be 98 in, in October. And I started flying for him because he's relatively close to me in Columbus through Veterans Airlift Command. So started to fly with him. Um, helped out a lot too because it, it, it kind of put me in the mindset of how I would imagine a corporate operator would because you, you don't just put... Um, a person like Woody Williams in your airplane without having the, the professional pilot mentality. Um, you just can't skimp on things, whether it be airplane maintenance or your own training or even how you fly the airplane. So that kind of got me into um, flying like a, like a professional pilot, but I still didn't think that I would end up being a professional pilot. Um, so that, that moved me forward in that. And then um I think probably the big thing that got me into where I am now is a a phone call from a a good friend of mine who was a line guy when I first started flying at training. He was uh, still in college when I was flying, Um, was an Air Force Reservist, actually Air National Guard, and he ended up being a KC-135 
uh, captain. And he was a, with the corporate operation that I'm with now. And he called me up because they did a lot of flights to DCA, uh, Reagan National. And some of your listeners might not know but that every airplane that flies into DCA has to have an air marshal aboard, whether it's an air, air, uh, airline flight or a corporate operation, anything. And there's a program called the Armed Security Officer Program or the ASO. And it's run through the Federal Air Marshal Service. And that's just a pretty much a private corporate, corporate aviation uh, air marshal. So, um, that operator that I fly for now flies into DCA a lot. They needed an ASO. Um, to be an ASO, you have to be either an active or retired police officer. So he called me up and I said, Hey, uh, we need an ASO. Uh, are you interested in doing it? I'm like, Hey, that kind of sounds cool. <laughs> so I ended up going to, uh, training up in Detroit to become an air marshal or I, I guess an ASO with the air marshal's office. So that was my first exposure to corporate aviation was being in the cabin of a, a corporate plane as an ASL. That's crazy. That's, that's really cool. And then kind of, yeah. did you just stick with that corporation and that's who you fly for now? Or was it just other yeah, people? Oh, exactly wow. right. So how yeah, did they, exactly right. so did you just say, Hey, I want to be a pilot one day or did they look back and be like, you know, you, you ever flown? And you're like, yeah, actually I have like 2000 hours. <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. Well, more like the latter, what you just said. I, I never, again, never considered being a pilot. Not that I didn't want to. Who, who wouldn't want to be a, a corporate pilot who had a an interest like I did? Of course I wanted to, but I never thought I, I, I could. I never thought I would in, be into that. But they, you know, we're just your pilots and you drop your principal off at uh, DCA, then you go out and hit up uh, Ted's Montana Grill, I guess is where we usually go at DCA. And uh, just talking about flying. So we talk about flying and you get comfortable and familiar with the pilots that are there. Um, I guess one of the biggest things is that I became familiar and friendly with uh, some of the executives as well. So it's just being, I guess in this case, being in the right place at the right time. Uh, the chief pilot at the corporation I fly for now, he lives pretty close to where I am. He is a general aviation guy too. He owns a 172. He goes to Oshkosh. You know, we meet up at Oshkosh. So, um, very, very similar aviation interests. Because a lot of uh, uh, corporate or maybe airline guys, they, it's just a job. You know, you go fly your your airplane and then you're done with aviation. And for us, it's just not that way. You know, we we are surrounded with aviation and general aviation. So. That was that was a helpful thing as well, <laughs> having a, a chief pilot who was also into general aviation. And um, while I was in ASO, um, I was able to uh, present to the chief pilot. I said, why don't we, if you guys do this kind of thing, are you interested in doing a couple flights for, for Woody Williams? You know, he's a Medal, a Medal of Honor recipient. He's still traveling all over the world or I'm sorry, all over the country. It would be kind of cool to have you guys have him aboard. So we were able to arrange a couple flights through the corporate and angel network and getting a couple flights for Woody. So that was, that was kind of neat. So um, just again, showing that we are of service to people. And I think that was a, a good thing for me just to be shown as a, a service minded individual. 
What was it like convincing your wife? Uh, obviously, she's okay with you being a pilot because she let you buy all these airplanes, so clearly. But going from being a police officer and being home every single night and then retiring, how did she kind of wrap her mind around you being gone more and uh, being a pilot? Was she kind of ready for the next step of just you and her hanging out? Or was she totally fine? Like, get out of the house. I need you to get away. Go fly. Do your dream. <laughs> Definitely. She, she was ready for me to be be away from police work. Um, she's a, she's a police dispatcher. So okay. she, yeah. And she's been a dispatcher for as long as I've been a police officer. Um, so surprisingly enough, police officers and dispatchers sometimes, uh, get together. Um, no, she was very, very supportive of me doing it. And I still remember, um, actually we were at Oshkosh in 2018 and we met with, uh, my chief pilot there at the, at the Embraer tent back Back then, Embraer still went to Oshkosh, and he said to me, um, Chief Pilot, when my wife was standing there, hey, man, we need to figure out a way to get you in the right seat. And that's exactly what he said. I'll never forget that. And I'm like, is he kidding? Guy kind of laughed it off. I'm like, eh, that's kind of funny. Mate. Is he serious? No, he can't be serious. That's, mm-hmm. that's nothing. So we, we went around, you know, went about our day. I got back from, from Oshkosh and... Uh, driving home from work. Um, probably it was a pretty stressful day. I still remember that day. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm going to find out what he meant. I called him up and I said, what exactly did you mean by we need to find a way? And you're not kidding me, right? And he said, no, actually I'm not. And, uh, that was the start of me getting into uh, corporate aviation. That's awesome. And your wife yeah. was okay with you being like, uh, having overnights oh. and, uh, being gone more. No, I, I tell you, I worked a lot <laughs> as a police officer, whether it be whether it be for overtime or special duty. Working my last year and a half, I worked on third shift, so I was gone already. Um, so on midnight shift, uh, so no, it, it actually it actually is an improvement as far as uh, that's awesome. me being home. It that's is good. Um, there's, so there's a lot of people listening. We talked about the people listening that are in college and they kind of don't know what they want to do and have this, uh, overall kind of just uncertainty in their career. But there's also the people kind of similar to you. Maybe they're not, but different as in the fact that they're not fully satisfied with the career. And they think about, I wish I would have been a pilot and are just constantly mm-hmm. thinking about it and want to do it. What would you tell to someone that maybe is an architect or is an engineer or does just a job that they're not too happy with and they've always wanted to be a pilot? They, they want to do it, but they just can't take the next step. What would you tell to someone that needs to take the next step or to make the next step? Or would your advice be to stick it out and kind of do it on the side and then do it later? Um, I would say to at least take the first step um, to moving forward because you'll never, you'll never get to where you're going without taking that first step. So it's, that's the easiest thing. Don't look past. Um, it's sometimes it takes you, and this may sound like terrible advice, but it really isn't. You don't sometimes don't want to look at, Hey, what's going to happen in five or 10 years? Because that seems like too far away of a goal. Sometimes you just need to focus on what's the next, the very next thing I need to do. So tomorrow I need to walk down and I need to take that um, intro flight. That's the next step because uh, once you get there, then the, a whole, you know, a 
host of doors presents themselves about what you can do. So sometimes you focus on the very next thing that you can do um, to get to where you're going and, and do that thing. You, you can't not do it. That's the, you've got to get out there and you have to do that next thing. Agreed. Could I have said it better myself? At least yeah. to give it its due diligence and see if you like it. Uh, there's, yeah. a, there's a good amount of people that make the switch and they are happy. It, it might suck for a year or two, but make sure you're financially able to do it. And more importantly, make sure the people around you are okay with it because it's a selfish decision to make on yourself and not have uh, the partner that's willing to, to put up with it because an aviation career and life is much different. And sometimes people aren't okay with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I was lucky in that um, I have a very supportive wife and she knows exactly how much aviation means to me um, because it, it, it literally surrounds my life. Even when even when I wasn't being paid to be a pilot, um, you know, just with us always having an airplane around and flying, um, she knows how important it is. She also knows how much I want to be of service to other people. So She's supportive of the uh, being a police officer as well. So um, that what you said is exactly right. You have to have that partner who is supportive of that because that would make things impossible for sure to, to move forward. For sure. Well, Chris, I got some rapid fire questions for you. Uh, they are just oh, uh, very fast, quick questions. You answer the first one that comes to your mind. All right. Okay. You what's your it. What's your favorite airplane ever made? Twin Bonanza, what about Model 50. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. You, you had that ready to go. I did. <laughs> what about a jet, corporate jet? What's your favorite one? I got to say the Challenger 350. That's what we're flying now. What about airliner? If you could fly any airliner, what would you want to fly? Oh, I'd love to fly a 747, Queen of the Skies. Ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Oh, boy, the British made a lot of ugly airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, I tell you, just whatever the British made. made. Them no, no, no. Some of those things, you know, that look like shorts airplanes, but are uglier. What is, all right, we'll keep going. What's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Um, how, how expensive it would be. Um, but that was, <laughs> I would have maybe worked a little more. Yeah. <laughs> get the money. What's your favorite but aviation book? aviation book um right now it's i just read thunderbolt by robert s johnson he's a world war ii um thunderbolt ace flew the p-47 awesome book favorite aviation movie um i have uh, let's say always what's the hardest flight you've ever had Probably doing single pilot flying into the DC area. Um, a lot of the times we fly into uh, Gaithersburg or, or around the DC area with Woody. And that, I tell you, that's stressful. I, I enjoy the flying, but it is stressful. Who's someone you'd like to meet most in aviation? Neil Armstrong. Uh, that'd be cool. What's yeah. your favorite thing about aviation? Um, the people that are in it. I tell you, that's, that's one of the best things when you have people that are interested in the same things you are. And they, they all mostly tend to be high quality individuals. The people in aviation are just the best. What's your favorite flight you've ever had? Like most memorable flight? Um, 
Any flight um, I've done with uh, Veterans Airlift Command or with uh, Woody Williams would be that. Favorite airport you've ever landed at? Mountain Air in North Carolina, Western uh, North Carolina. Yeah, I've never been there, but I've heard of it. Just beautiful. I mean, it's just one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Would you rather fly IFR or VFR? VFR. Yeah, you have 30 minutes to go get some food. Let's say you are making a, a fuel stop and you can grab a crew car. What's your go-to food? Are you looking for barbecue? Are you looking for fast food? What are you looking for? I like to go someplace local. I don't like to go someplace that you can get anywhere. And so I've usually asked the people at the desk if they're there, say, hey, what's, where do you guys go? Where's the diner that's the best? And try to go there. What's your least favorite airport you've ever landed at? Um, boy, I don't know if there are any, I, I like going to them all, even though, <laughs> even I guess what was, uh, the scariest <laughs> landing you've ever had then like winds or like what airport would be like the most challenging airport to land at? Um, I, I don't want to say to land, but just again, getting into some place that's around DCA okay. just from the, the stress level of yeah. all the, <laughs> all the things you have to do to get there. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches or cities? Um, mountains for the view, but probably beaches for the, <laughs> for a landing spot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Airbus or Boeing? Would you rather fly an Airbus or a Boeing? Boeing. Favorite airline livery? Um, I like, I like the old shiny American airlines. Would they, you rather? Uh, polished a little bit. Yeah, those are cool. Would you rather fly as many long or as many short trips as you could do in your um, twin bonanza or one very, very long trip? Take it all the way as far as you possibly can. Um, short trips. <laughs> that thing has uh, about seven hour legs if you take it oh, to empty. So it, it no can bathroom. be a minute. Yeah. <laughs> What's the hardest check ride you've ever had? All oh, that first, first typewriting was difficult for the, uh, actually for the Embraer 550. That was tough just because everything was so different than what I was used to with, uh, you know, piston engine flight. Yeah. What's the biggest regret of your career? Um, well, that's a, that's a tough one uh, because things kind of worked out. <laughs> the biggest <laughs> regret, uh, maybe worrying too much about what it costs. Um, because uh, I tell you, it, again, it's it's not cheap to do it. So um, there's there's were some uh, there were some times that were pretty worrying as far as whether I should keep going, but but I did. Biggest win of your career? Oh, that that trip to Oshkosh when I was asked, we need to figure out a way to get you in the right seat. I mean, that's I I realize how. Unprob improbable that that is. And it's, I'm just so grateful to be in this position. If your kids came up to you today and said, dad, I want to be a pilot. Would you tell them to go 141 school or 61 school? Um, I tell them to go wherever, whatever fits their needs. For me, it was the 61. Um, but if they wanted to try out and I thought that they could do better in 141, I'd, I'd su completely support it. Piper or Cessna? Be, uh, oh, sorry. No, that's okay. Um, Cessna. And last but not least, if you had to fly on a CRJ 200 or an ERJ 145, what would you choose? You know what? I, I don't know if I've flown either one of those. So um, then you would say neither. I'd fly myself. <laughs> <laughs> 
and that's it. Now, why would I do that when I have my? (laughs) Very true. Very very smart. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. It's uh, really cool to to hear your story, and and like you said, when you reach out, it's different than some of the ones we've had on. So it's cool to hear you have a full career, uh, enjoy aviation as kind of like a side hobby and a hustle, and uh, then now it's your main career right now after you finish your original career. So I think it's really cool, and uh, just the adversity you had to go through to get to where you are and you never gave up that really goes to speak a lot about who you are and uh, i'm very happy that it's all worked out and you've had a a good career and uh you're enjoying flying so thank you so much for coming on i appreciate it and i uh, thanks for getting back with me i didn't know whether you'd be interested in it but it was i thought it was just it would be neat for some people maybe to hear that there are there are alternate ways to get uh get into an aviation career and mine is certainly alternate um but it, but it can happen. Just just keep moving forward. Yeah, I think uh, when you reached out, it really sparked my interest. Like you said, just that's kind of the reason why I started the podcast was to highlight different ways uh, to have a good career in aviation. And I think this is definitely an interesting uh, way to go about it. So uh, <laughs> sure. it is, um, and you're probably not alone. I bet listening to this, someone else is like, oh, I was a cop too. I did that. I know Chris, I did that too. Yeah. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, whenever you think you're alone and in, in the, the process you're going through, there's, there's way more people than you imagine that are either going through the same things you're going through or very similar. Yeah, exactly right. And I think that the uh, important thing is to, to uh, keep, keep building on what you have yeah. and keep, again, and keep saying it, but keep moving forward. Absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. Great talking to you. Go Bucks. Go Buckeyes. And that is a wrap of episode 187 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, like I said, leave a review, add it to playlist, check out Pilot's Coffee. Uh, it's really funny we ended that podcast with a go bucks because Ohio State got absolutely destroyed by Oregon. And it's kind of funny that this episode is posted right after that. I hope you guys are all having a great day. I hope you're staying safe and I hope you're out there flying. Fly as much as you can. Get people in aviation. We need as many people as possible to keep growing this industry. So I hope everyone's having a great day. And as always, happy flying.